So today we're diving into week two of Advent. Like I said, Advent means arrival. It's a time of year that we are intentionally looking back to the first coming of Jesus who was born as a child in Bethlehem. We, we identify with the nation of Israel that was longing and groaning for their savior king to come. And he didn't come how they expected him to come. He was not wielding a sword. He was not on a mighty stallion. He came as a humble servant king on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem to show that this is an upside down kingdom. This is a kingdom of love. This is a kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace. And it's in the son, it's in and through Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not a far off planet. It's right here in our midst. It's a realm that we can grab and take hold of if we will turn to what he's doing and saying in and through Jesus Christ. And so, um, we see the kingdom of God coming through the life of Jesus, yet we also look forward and we wait. We wait now with great expectation, with hope for the second coming of our king, where he will return and he will renew and redeem all of creation. So Advent is a time that we can meditate on the promises of God and we can anticipate how he's going to fulfill those promises. Advent is a remembering and it's a rejoicing. And so when we read the Christmas story, one of the parts that we don't necessarily emphasize right in the middle of the, the cattle lowing, the fluffy sheep laying at the foot of Jesus, the angels singing their choir, the swaddling cloth. There's an element that's absolutely crucial to the Christmas narrative, but it's sometimes overlooked. But scripture's actually emphasizing it 16 times in the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. And that element is timing. Time and timing was vital when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And time and timing is vital in your lives and critical in how we go about living our lives following Jesus. So much of the Christian life is attempting to tune in not only how to step into God's best, but when. When will you find relief from that pain? When will you begin to see breakthrough? When will you begin to see the promises and the vision start to take place that you've been dreaming of? I want to tell you it takes maturity and it takes discernment to know and understand God's timing. How about in marriage? I'm sure many of you have seen those friends that quickly fall in love. Only a couple weeks or months pass and all of a sudden they're engaged. You're like, oh wow, that was fast. Do you even know each other? What's going on here? And in, in this middle of just being blind in love, they get married and you're like, whoa, can we pump the brakes a little bit? I'm, I'm sensing a few things that are off. And, and even though you have concerns, this, this couple gets married and then unfortunately things fall apart. I'm not saying that happens every time, but you guys have seen that in people's lives before, right? It's timing. How about a job? You've seen those around us who are just waiting for a job. They're like, I just got to pay my bills. I, I, I just, I, I'm done stressing about waiting for the big thing to come. And so they end up settling. And something in your spirit knows it's, it's not the time to settle. It's actually time to wait with hope and anticipation. 
But then your friend ends up going down this path of, of just going, going down what maybe seems right in the moment and there's just something within you that feels like, is this a bit of a waste or is it not? This has to do with an issue of timing. And I bet you guys can relate to that in your own lives, in your relationships, in what you're going after. This is one of the biggest topics that I get asked as a pastor. People want to know timing. It's, it's waiting on the Lord that is so frustrating and it feels like it's ripping you open. You just want to be moving in steps forward on the thing that you feel led into. And so we have a lot of fear in our own lives. Even those really attempting to follow the Lord, we, we have a fear sometimes of missing our callings, mix, missing our purpose, missing God's best for our lives. And you know, a lot of believers are even impacted by this worry. But I wanna, I wanna take a moment to praise God but, because he's not gonna leave you in that fear of worrying. In fact, that's not of him to leave you in any kind of fear or worry. He is the absolute best recycler. He is a redeemer, so even if we have messed up, even if you did take a path that was long and veering to the left, he wants to get you back on the path, and he will use all of those days that the locust has eaten in your life. He will make all things work together for good, and it's all gonna become part of your story. But I do believe that there is a better way to live your life to the fullest, to your greatest potential in God. And it's discerning the timing of God and choosing not to resist God's leading and his timing. For example, if you feel led to be married, following God's lead in timing, walking with God in daily surrender, in obedience, these things will open you up and prepare you for a spouse that is full of God and along the same journey. Someone who is healthy and vibrant so that you can have a healthy and vibrant relationship. And it's at the exact time that God has for you both. One of the most stressful things in our life, and I, I've got to tell you that stress and anxiety is one of the top searches that people have in their lives because they want to get out of those knots, out of the cycles of worry and anxiety and fear in their lives, understandably so. And one of the most stressful things in our life is when you feel behind. You feel late, like life is out of control. But one of the most powerful tools that moves you towards success in our lives has to do with timing. When you do the right thing at the right time. And that's what puts all of our ducks in a row and usually brings an open door of favor into your life. Even in leadership, it's not so much about, I know exactly what to do. I am a great leader. This is what needs to be done. It's not just about what needs to be done, it's having the wisdom and discernment to know when each of these things need to be done. It's paired together in wisdom. Life can start to feel out of control. You can feel like you're behind in your career. You start saying, look at Tim. He's only 25. He's already signed two publishing deals. You say, 
I'm behind in my family. It feels like every time I open Facebook, kid, my, the kids from high school that feel like a few years ago have like seven kids already. You're like, this is depressing opening up Facebook because I feel behind. You start in your stress, you partner it with insecurity, and that leads you to comparison. If you're disconnecting with what God has to say about you and about each of these areas, stress is going to be what takes over. Rather than rejoicing with the breakthrough that other individuals have had in their lives. It becomes about you, self-focused, wallowing, I'm a victim. Comparison is such a thief of joy, and it can, it can lead you into greater stress because you've surrendered your unique relationship with God and your unique purpose and timeline that God has for you. God knows that waiting for his timing isn't easy. It's usually not how we imagined it. But all through scripture, God is asking his followers to wait. God makes enormous promises, big declarations over his people, but it's saved till just the right time. Think about Noah. God says, Noah, I've got a plan for you. I got some purpose for you. You're gonna take all this wood and all this tar and you're gonna build a really large ship called an ark. And in the middle of Noah being faithful, what do you think his friends were saying about him? You're, you're crazy, Noah. You're off your rocker. We've got a man in town, and he's a problem. His name is Noah. And that thing is an eyesore on my property. And he's making all of these claims like, oh, repent, you're going to drown. But Noah was faithful to what God called him to. And I think it was 120 years. Is that right that he built the ark? That's a long time. Some of us are like 12 days out. (laughs) Noah. What about Abraham? Do you remember that God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I really love you. I like you a lot. In fact, I think you are a father. I call you a father. He's speaking identity into Abraham. You are a father. In fact, your descendants are going to be like the grains of sand and the stars in the sky. That's a lot of kids. And Abraham's over there with his wife, Sarah, and he sees that sundial moving very quickly. Day after day. The shadows are cast. (laughs) Sarah's way past the age of childbearing. And he's like, okay, are you sure you meant what you said, God? Was this some sort of like, was this some sort of like prophetic metaphor? Or did you really mean this? And Isaac came as a promise way past when he thought he would. Even Jesus had to wait 30 years his ministry was launched. We're talking about Jesus the Christ. 30 years. You think he was like 27 and he's just walking upright, has all the wisdom in the world, and he's like, three more years. Three more. I'm, I'm not ready. It is not the time of the Father. 
He was, actually. I like my sarcastic Jesus. It's, it's good. <laughs> Jesus had to wait 30 years. This time of year, we can identify with the groanings of the nation of Israel who waited with long expectation for their Savior. And we are all waiting for the second coming of Christ and the fulfillment of his word. Sometimes we can feel a little bit like Noah, where your friends are like, I think you're the one that's a little crazy. But we're waiting with hopeful expectancy of God's goodness. And we can remember and rejoice that God is faithful and that he always comes through. Let's look at the birth of Jesus and see how his birth holds truths for our own lives about God's timing. What do we learn from Jesus' birth and God's timing? I want to look at five truths of timing for our lives. Let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. Number one, God has a perfectly timed plan. Now, if you will adopt these truths and allow God to renew your mind in these areas, you are going to see stress and anxiety start to fade away, and you're going to see a faith and confidence start to fill your life that will arise from within you. Number one, God has a perfectly timed plan. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter three, let's read this together. There is an appointed time for everything and there is a right time for every activity under heaven. In today's English version, I love how they, how they translate this. Everything that happens in this world happens at the time God chooses. God has a planned timeline, and that includes the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, right in the middle of Roman rule. Paul tells us about this in Galatians, about this specific timeline of God. Let's read now in Galatians 4, verse 3. When the right time had come, God sent his son to earth, born of a woman and living under the law, so that his son could pay for our freedom from the law and adopt us as his children into God's family. Now, that is some purpose in his life. Freedom from the law. Adopt us as God's children into the family of God. Why did God choose this specific time in history? I want to tell you, I don't know. Why did he choose 2,000 years ago? Why not hundreds of years earlier when the people were groaning and crying out for a savior? Why not in the year 1998? For those that were alive, <laughs> click back to 1998. This is before Google. I think we only had Ask Jeeves. But in the year 1998, there was a woman named Oprah who ruled television. Her programs were broadcast in, I believe, every nation of the world. Couldn't Jesus have a, come onto the show Oprah and said, sweet, sweet Oprah, you have a big heart. Let me tell you about who I am. Yes, he could have. In fact, it would have been really smart because he could have told everyone at once, right? Then he could have flashed on over to CNN and had a nice guest star appearance on Larry King Live. <laughs> Maybe hit up Letterman later that night. The year 1998, in my opinion, 
would have been better than 2,000 years earlier, but that's not the plan of God. Here's the deal. We can make all sorts of hypotheses about this. Maybe it is the Roman roads at the time, the Roman Empire, they had these great roads, and so especially in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed and the, the, the Jews had to flee, the message of the gospel went um, speedily through the lands because of these Roman roads that were built. Maybe that's one reason. You know, we can come up with these, I, I believe this is why he came at that time, but we don't really know. We don't have all the answers of why, but according to God, it was the perfect timing. So number one, God has a perfectly timed plan. Number two, God does not tell us details in advance. Let me rephrase that. He doesn't tell us all details in advance, most details in advance. We love to know the future. Even as a culture, we're, we're right here near, near Venice. There are a lot of spiritual people out here. Well, in, well intended, but sorry, misled individuals that are knocking on psychics' doors, reading tarot cards, tea leaves, astrology, all of these ways trying to know the future. Those are all counterfeits to the voice of God. He does show us some things ahead of time. And I love prophetic ministry when God speaks what he chooses to speak. But most things of the future are withheld from us. Ecclesiastes 3.11, same chapter. Let's read this. God has given us a desire to know the future. He's given that to us, a desire to know what's coming. He always does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what he's doing. Did you know that there's actually a peace and a joy that God created within us to not know the future and to just surrender to that? And yeah, that's right. You're God and I am not. <laughs> Why doesn't he just tell us ahead of time the future? Wouldn't that be so much easier? Well, I think there's two main reasons that he doesn't tell us the future. Number one, I don't think we could handle it. And number two, I think we would definitely abuse it. If we knew the future, we would try to take it into our own hands. We would try to control everything, manipulate everything into what we think is best for our lives. But I believe the reason most of our future is not revealed is because he's longing for us to trust. It's about trust. The kingdom of God is about becoming like little children in humility, trusting a good father. In Acts chapter one, as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and leave his followers here on earth, he says in Acts 1, 7, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the father's business. God loves to be for us our daily bread. And it's each morning that he says, trust me and I'll provide. Each morning we wake up, we tune in, we dial in. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What do you have in store today? How will you provide today? So you may not know God's 50 year plans to a T, 
But God does have a great plan for your life, and we can trust him in it day by day. The third thing that we can learn from God's timing, number three, God is not in a hurry, but he's never late. Most people have a vision in their lives of what they want to see, a dream for their own lives, something they really want to accomplish. It usually is tied to their identity, trying to find their purpose, find their meaning. And there's these nice interwoven cords of this is becoming my identity. But as the years pass, these big dreams might feel like they're not easily happening. They're not falling into place. The doors seem to only be shutting. The favor doesn't seem to be there. And the timeline that you've loosely created in your own head doesn't seem to be adding up. And so what most people do is that they start to lose hope in certain areas. They were once excited about it, but now it can even be painful to talk about because what was a dream has turned to disappointment. It's turned to shame. It's turned to even an anxiousness to talk about and we've buried our dreams under disappointment. And some of you can relate to this. You're even thinking of areas in your own life that you've taken a shovel and thrown a little dirt on top of that hope, burying it in disappointment yourself. But if we're really open to align ourselves with the truth, now sometimes the truth can be hard to hear, sometimes it can be uncomfortable, sometimes you're like, I kinda know it, but I don't really wanna hear it. All right, just tune in. If we can crack open the door of hope just a little bit, a little peek in, if you're willing to go there with me, I want to look at a verse from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. Now this, I, I want to tell you, we don't just pick out, ooh, I like this verse, I'm going to put that on my mirror. You know, maybe, maybe do a little research, read the whole chapter, figure out what's going on. But uh, for the sake of time, I just want to give you briefly, the book of Habakkuk, was a prophetic word for the nation of Israel in a moment of history where they needed some real encouragement. But it's also a promise to us as we wait for the vision. And here's what God says about his promises, ready? The vision will happen at the time I have appointed. It moves steadily towards the goal and it will not be proven false. If it seems slow or delayed, just wait for it. It will certainly happen. It will not be late. Actually, can we read this together? Feel some weight on that. All right, let's read this together. The vision will happen at the time I have appointed. It moves steadily toward its goal, and it will not be proven false. If it seems slow or delayed, just wait for it. It will certainly happen. It will not be late. Now, I want to say, if the dream is just your dream, because how many of you know that you can create a dream that is not God's dream? We're seeking identity. We're seeking affirmation. We have an interest, but maybe that's not the dream or the calling that God has for you. Maybe you're just attaching those emotions to something that you're actually not supposed to step into. Maybe. 
But I also want to say, if the dream is given from him, he is a God that finishes what he started. If God gave you the dream and the purpose, now is not the time to let it remain buried and stuffed in disappointment. It's actually the time to wait for it. Did you know that waiting is active? It's an active waiting. There's a word I want to teach you today. It's in Hebrew. This is, I actually found as I was doing a little more research on it, it's one of, from what some people say, one of the 70 Hebrew words that you should know. So maybe this is the first, you probably know shalom, that's a great start. Maybe this is number two, it's the word tikva. Tikva means to wait with hope. The root word is not just to wait with hope, as we would say in English. Sometimes these Hebrew words are packed with meaning, packed with metaphor. And so what it also means is a root word meaning a cord. Now, when you're looking at the word tikva, it's, it's a waiting with hope. But when you think about a cord, what does that bring to remembrance? If you know the pages of scripture, you'll think back to Rahab and the scarlet cord of redemption. Right in the middle of Jericho's walls falling was a prostitute named Rahab that hung out of her window a scarlet cord, and she and her family were spared and saved. She was not an Israelite, but she was welcomed in to the redemptive flow of Jesus in that moment. And all throughout scripture, we see the scarlet cord of redemption interweaving into the stories and pages and history of our faith. Even now, we can think about the scarlet cord and remember God's faithfulness and how we are brought into a greater story. And what that reminds me of now even is the scarlet cord of God's, of Jesus letting, letting the blood pour out from his hands and his feet and his side, letting it flow like a river. That Emmanuel's veins released the redemptive power that we need in our lives. The grace to save us and not to meet death. That is the scarlet cord of redemption. And so when we look at the word tikvah, We not only think about waiting, we not only think about hope, but we see how we are intertwined and enfolded into the very bloodline of Jesus Christ himself. It's the scarlet cord of redemption that when we're feeling hopeless, when we're waiting, we're saying, I'm not just waiting at a distance. I'm not just hoping from a distance. I am enfolded into the scarlet cord of redemption. I am flowing with Emmanuel's veins in my system. We are not those who are just waiting as as victims, waiting from a distance. Maybe God will swoop in one day. He's saying, I'm right here with you. Will you wait with hope? Will you turn to me because you are enfolded into me as my child? This This is the cord of hope and waiting. Now, this kind of cord, too, is not going to break easily. This, you know, if you're going rock climbing, you want something that has many strands interconnected. 
and that's going to hold you up if you fall. And this is the power of the gospel and the good news, that we are intertwined with the power and strength of our God. That is tikvah, waiting with hope. So in Isaiah chapter 40, which is, gosh, got to be one of my favorite chapters. Isaiah 40, let's read this together. And when we read the word wait, that is the word tikvah. But those who wait on the Lord, those who are waiting with hope and anticipation and are enfolded into Christ himself, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Waiting. As you unpack this word, it it originally meant twisted, stretches. There's a tension of enduring and waiting, but it's a cord, and it's strong, and it brings strength in the hope and eager waiting. Tikvah. And number four, God's timing is not always convenient for me. God's timing is always best, but he doesn't promise that it's always easiest. Have you ever thought about how inconvenient the birth of Jesus was for Mary and Joseph? Let's read together. Luke 2, verse 1 through 6. At that time, Caesar Augustus ordered all people under Roman rule to return to their hometown to register in a census. So Joseph took Mary with him to Bethlehem, and by this time she was very pregnant, and in Bethlehem the time came for her to have a baby. So first of all, you're looking at this passage and this narrative, and you're saying, um, who's going to believe that, that Joseph and Mary, first of all, hadn't slept together when he was conceived? Who's going to believe that? Fortunately, we have an angel appear to Joseph and say, hey, no, this really is God. Don't worry, Joseph, you don't need to leave her. This is of me. Thank the Lord for that. And in the middle of this, in the middle of this story, which it it feels fitting that maybe her family would be present, maybe a midwife. Like, this this is the birth of the king of kings. Like, let's set something up. Even if it's humble, let's set up something that's full of peace and life. But that's not, that's not what God did. He said, I'm actually gonna bring you on a very uncomfortable journey. In fact, Caesar implementing a law that everyone has to return to their hometowns for a census. Can you imagine being nine months pregnant and you're like, I got to get up on the back of a donkey now and and ride how many days, Joseph? This would have been, well, by car now, it's about two, two and a half hours drive. But for them, this would have been a five to seven day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Nine months pregnant and for a week, you're on the back of a donkey. How uncomfortable do you think that would be? Now imagine, <laughs> am I gonna go this way? Yes, I am, I guess. Um, I have seen, seen enough pregnant women that when they're ready to give birth, they get out one of those Swiss balls, right? And they bounce on the Swiss ball. Like, come on child, I'm ready to give birth now. You know? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Give me a thank you, thank you. Whew, I'm not a doula up here, but but I'm doing my best. Oh, Woo. okay, it's a really good quality joke. 
So here she is, same, same picture, just up and down on the donkey. Here comes the king of kings in Bethlehem. How uncomfortable would that journey have been? I, I did want to make you squirm for a moment because we're in the middle of this, and just, I just needed a moment to make you squirm, that's, that's all. Yes. So, five to seven day journey. Not to mention that there's no family present, no doctor, no good conditions, no birthing pool. But even through it all, through this momentary suffering, though it was terribly inconvenient, it was a better plan that they could have ever imagined. And that's often how God works in our lives. We feel like, what the heck, God? Where are you? This is really painful. This is expensive. This is lonely. Fill in the blanks in your own life. But we have a God that knows. Remember how he said that he was fully God and fully man? He is a God that knows. He understands. He has compassion. His timing and his plans are perfect. So when we look at these five truths of God's timing, number one, he has a perfect timed plan for our lives. Number two, God does not tell us in, in great detail in advance. Number three, God is not in a hurry, but he's never late. Number four, God's timing is not always convenient for us. And number five, at the right time, God can do anything instantly. What happens when God knows it's the right time? Let's look at Isaiah 60, verse 22. He says, I am the Lord. So when the right time comes, I will make it all happen quickly. One of the most difficult places to be in our lives is that we're in, um, as Rick Warren so gracefully says, when we're in God's waiting room. Now, that's a very evangelical church statement, but I kind of liked it when we're in God's waiting room. He has great teaching about this. A lot of this is uh, uh, springboarded from him. But I love how it, it unpacks an imagery of being in God's waiting room. We, we aren't full of faith in that time. Um, we're, our waiting can be very full of, of worry. We worry that we're never gonna get married, never gonna have kids. We worry that we're never gonna see the dream realized, that maybe in our sickness, we're never going to get healed, that maybe we're never going to get free from this addiction or this emotional distress, whatever it might be in the areas that we are worrying, God is not worried. And God can do more in a second than you can in years of your own strength. He can do more in a moment than you can for decades in your own strength. So then a natural question is, if God really can do anything quickly, why does he delay? Why is he delaying if he can literally, at a a wave of his finger, make it happen for me? Well, God allows delays for two reasons. Number one, to test our faith. He's wanting to know, will you learn to trust me? Did you know that you can actually learn trust by the difficulties that come in your path? Because every single new challenge or new difficulty or new trial in your life, you can choose how to respond to that new trial. And God's waiting 
in that place to prepare you for a greater trust, to know his faithfulness, so that the thing before you, if you partner with trust, it becomes a victory in your life and it can be added to a stone pile of God's faithfulness in your life. And all of a sudden, you can look back at the stone pile, every single one of those rocks or stones that were in your path, making it not smooth, but you can look back and say, hey, I've been in these times before that were challenging. I've been in a trial like this before. I've been in a difficulty. I've been in a waiting like this before. And I remember God's faithfulness. Not only how he just got me through it, but how he revealed who he is and what he's like. The invisible God gets to show up in different circumstances and in different ways. His face is experienced as we, as we see a demonstration of his faithfulness and his goodness in each new trial that comes, in each new difficulty. We're saying, wow, he really is as good as the scripture says. Wow, he really did get me through that. And, and I actually feel his, his life and his grace in my, in my veins. He really is that good. And so number one, one reason for delay is that he's testing our faith. He wants us to trust him. And number two, he wants to build our character. He will delay something in your life because he's building character. We're over here stressed about our work project. We're, we're wanting to see that thing completed, thinking that's the thing. God, I need to see this thing done. This thing's for your glory, God. Let me remind you, this big project. Yeah, that's for you, God. I think, I think it's for him. I think it's for him, not my own. It's for you, God. I don't have any identity wrapped up into it at all. Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. No. That thing in your life that you care about deeply, God does care about it as well. But you know what he's more concerned about? Your character. We think one day we're taking all of our accolades and accomplishments into eternity. But we're, we're taking our character. We're thinking, this, this is the thing, God. This is the thing in my life that, my purpose, my destiny. But God's over here working on you. Often God's looking at your goal and your vision and he's like, I actually really do want to give you this, but you're just not ready for it. You've got some development, you've got some growing up, you've got some maturing that's needed so that you can actually handle this well. So often we're in the waiting room in our place of preparation. If we didn't have the waiting room, perhaps we'd either destroy the dream or the dream would destroy us. If we weren't prepared, if we didn't have the maturity and character that was needed, we would either be destroyed by the very thing or we would destroy it somehow. He's wanting to mature us in character to be the man or the woman that, that can carry these things well. And when you're ready, when you're ready and when God's ready, it will happen. So often it feels like we're waiting for God to answer, God, move, but he's like, I'm waiting on you. Look at Isaiah 49, verse 8. At the right time, I will answer your prayers. Do we pray that in our lives? 
God, at the right time, please answer this prayer. Raise your hand if you prayed that this morning fervently. I know you did. At the right time, answer these prayers. Hmm. We also need to learn that just because it's a delay doesn't mean that it's a denial. Think about kids. They don't understand that concept. They don't have the maturity to grasp that. And so this two-year-old's looking at the dessert in the kitchen, they're like, I want that now. And they fall to their face and they're snotty and they're crying because they want the dessert, not knowing it's just a delay. Like eat a few string beans and then you're gonna have the cake. (laughs) But they're lacking the maturity. When we're in the waiting room, we can get tossed around by our emotions. We're, we're often like those little kids, aren't we? Little pity parties. We get irritable. Spiritually, we feel like we're just swirly and flailing around. We get envious. You know, when you're, when you're in that place, that, that envy can lead to a, a jealousy and a comparison like I talked about. What about my marriage? What about my job and my project? and we'll be faced with a temptation to wallow in our frustration time and time again. But do we understand that that God's delays are often by design? And so as we wait for God's timing, we can always put into practice Hebrews 12.2. This verse is also one of my favorites. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. When you don't know what else to do in your life, maybe you feel like your emotions are all over the place. You feel spiritually flailing. Eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. When the timing doesn't feel right, when we, um, we keep our eyes on him instead of frantically trying to figure it all out. I found it incredibly beneficial to connect with the Holy Spirit and, and, and ask him some questions. So I wanna end with a few questions on the screen of how we can connect with God in our moment of waiting and how we can actually tune into what he's saying, what he's doing, and let him develop us. I also wanna say that I, I have a part two to this, so I'm not gonna leave you hanging. Um, This, like I said, is one of the most frequently asked areas of pastoring in people's lives. It's like we need to know what God's timing is, purpose, waiting, how it all works together. And so I, I actually feel like we're supposed to hit some more parts of that when I preach next. But I want us to ask a few questions in the meantime. Number one, God, what do I need from you to make it through? Now, the reason I like this question is because it's not about your own performance. It's not about just striving your way through it. It's like, what do I need from you? Because in the moment of your weakness, he longs to show up and prove himself as a good father. He longs to show up in your moment of weakness and prove himself as a strong tower that the righteous can run into away from harm. He longs to be for you a shield and a strength. And through every difficulty and through every frustration, we can give all glory to God 
because he's the one that is strengthening us and getting us through it and into a day of victory. Number two, God, what are you teaching me? Often we're so blinded about what's right in front of us that we can't even think about, oh, maybe he's teaching me something through this. We, we, just, we just get into a, a car accident and we're just freaking out. How am I gonna pay for this? Oh, this is gonna go on my insurance. You know, you start tailspinning. Do you think God was surprised by that? Do you think he was caught off guard that day? Oh, I, d- I didn't see that one coming. What are you teaching me, God? And what do you want to be for me through this? Even just asking the questions causes you to take a breath and just to tune into a spiritual reality rather than what's right in front of you. And number three, are there areas that I am resisting? Now that's a little bit harder because that that takes a moment to to not get into a, a position of, self-condemnation. We, we don't want to partner with any kind of self-condemnation or shame, but we have the Holy Spirit who is the counselor, the one that knows us inside and out and through and through. And so when we connect with the Holy Spirit and his grace, the very presence of God will lead us into showing us areas that we might be resisting. And he doesn't leave us there. He says, Here's a few areas that I see that you're actually hanging on a little too tight. I'm gonna help you release this before me. I I love to see you yield and to surrender before me. I feel like almost every sermon that, that comes to the application, yielding, surrendering, because that's that's the walk of trust, isn't it? And every day yielding to the Spirit trusting him. Oh, how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. This is the God that we follow, and through every difficulty, he proves himself good and faithful and better than we could have asked, dreamed, or imagined. That is who our God is. And so it is really that sweet to let go and to trust him and to let him lead you on. Let's go ahead and stand up. God, we thank you that you are so faithful to us. That when sometimes in some days we feel crazy ourselves, but we can simply turn to you, turn to the one that has proven himself to be faithful. Time by time, situation by situation, day by day, you have proven yourself faithful and true and trustworthy. So I personally just wanna take a moment and thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the ways that you guide us on, the good shepherd that leads us to the paths of life. So Holy Spirit, even right now, as we're, as we're teaching about waiting on God, 
would you do what only you can do? This, this waiting, this, this tikva, this enfolded into Jesus, filled with hope, filled with anticipation and good of how you will move in our lives. Would you bring that into our hearts, God, and develop that? And in the areas where we have turned our dreams into disappointment, and we've buried these dreams and buried the vision and tried to find a way out and just lost the clear vision. First of all, we just wanna repent and return to the high place with you. We wanna hear what you have to say about it again. And we wanna cling to your promises, God, that at the right time you will fulfill it in, in these areas, God, we are open-handed and say, at the right time, God, fulfill it. Let us do our part. Let us daily turn to you, check in with you, yield to you, turn from any distractions that entangle us on our way so that we can confidently move forward, tuning into your voice, tuning into what you are doing in and through us. And we can, we can let the identity of sonship be what moves us forward. And everything else is just a beautiful display of God's kingdom operating in and through us and around us. And so I just give a fresh dedication of even my plans and purposes, God, a fresh dedication of this church body and the ways that I long to see you move and build Jesus in this church. We surrender it to you. And we say, God, have your way. Jesus, be our daily bread as individuals and be our daily bread as a whole church family. Would we cling to you? Would we form a, a beautiful dependency on you as your children? And, and we, we lay down all pride. We lay down all anxiety. And we say, be removed in Jesus' name. And in its place, let your peace come and fill our lives. Let the confidence and boldness come and fill our lives. Let faith come and fill our lives. Let trust come and fill our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.